Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, the podcast produced by Future Leaders Mentoring. Today we're chatting with Mike Lewis in one of our special podcast series on Leaders Life Stories. Hi Mike. Hello Ian, good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. So, um, really intrigued with this one, Mike. So we, we, we've met a few times, haven't we? Yeah. Um, in your Salesforce days and, and, and more recently uh, now you're in your new role. And one thing that really came across to me was was how, as a as a leader, you you have a genuine interest in people. You've got you've got a curiosity as to kind of what makes people tick, and um, you 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 seem to want to help people. Um, and that's that's my experience over over a few meetings. Um, and that's that's what drives future leaders. We were we are founded on the belief of helping people is is the way to go. So I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out in in today's podcast and how the how the questions kind of lead us down that path. Actually, sounds good. And and look, thank you for noticing that about me, uh, Ian. Uh, it is something, yeah, it, it is something that I, I do believe I am very interested in. So yeah, it'd be great to look into maybe why that is uh, <laughs> when we when we have our chat here. Sounds great. Okay, so let's jump in then. So, so Mike, tell everybody who you are and what your role is today. Okay, and thank you. So, yeah, my name is Mike Lewis. Um, I've got an amazing job, actually. Uh, I, I, as you say, I recently changed roles in August last year, and, and I secured a job with Capgemini, which is a global uh, advisory company, uh, consultancy company. And, uh, and my role there is to lead uh, energy transition for, for the business. So that's a global role helping all our people from around the world engage with our clients uh, and also help each other understand what we need to do to um, transition to a low carbon energy society. Uh, because at the moment, energy produces over 70% of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and, and that's a massive problem. So if we can solve that one big problem, um, then that's going to really move us forward significantly with this climate change problems that, we, that we're suffering. Yeah, and not just uh, I guess a, a, a an amazing role, but a really vital role as well. Actually, you know what I, I feel that way. Um, I think you know the, the the more people we have engaged on this topic uh, or this problem, I should be more specific. It, it is it's the better, right? Because we're seeing so much science come about now that's just you know it's 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 impossible to ignore, right? That we we're we're, we're struggling to respond to the rapid change of our climate and we understand why it's changing um and yeah please all think about it and, and what could you individually do about it um and, and and not necessarily you know suffer as a consequence but just understand what it is and and, and what we can do about it so look we could talk more about that um uh, i could talk a lot about that uh and uh and and um, but the good news is that there's so much innovation going on in the space there's so much funding for the problem as well um i think the way we're at these days is how can we organize ourselves as a as a society really to, to just make it happen and make it happen at the right pace cool that's um that's good good to hear so let's go way way back now then mike okay so let's we, we feared about kind of way where you are at the moment let's let's go back to little mike if you don't mind um, <laughs> And, and tell us what you remember, like some of your first memories growing up. 
Right. Well, now that is a long time ago, Ian. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I, I kind of got two sides to that to that question. Number one is I, I was really lucky. I grew up in a beautiful part of the UK, North Yorkshire, uh, just off the the coast of North Yorkshire near Whitby. If anybody's been there, it's a very popular holiday destination nowadays. So that was my stomping ground as a as little Mike. Uh, so, you know, imagine being a young lad with three older brothers and lots of friends running around the countryside, making dens, riding your bike, having a, it was just wonderful, a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, but it's mixed with a bit of, I guess, tragedy, you know, I mean, uh, I came from a, 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 a broken home, I guess, uh, you know, my mum left home when I was very young, went to Canada and uh, dad was sort of left to, to, to bring up the family. And he had his own business as well. Lots of family support. Um, but tragically, you know, when mum came back to visit after a couple of years, dad died. And uh, so that that kind of created, you know, quite a quite a tricky, tricky environment. So you had this wonderful, uh, you know, place to live and grow up and, and, and explore. Um, but at the same time, a little bit of uh, a little bit of tragedy there as well. So so that that kind of was interesting I think because it gave me a lot of flexibility as a young lad <laughs> so young Mike did enjoy running around the countryside on his bike making dens playing with his friends mm-hmm. uh, but also that flexibility enabled me to sort of make choices about you know uh, what do I do with school and things like that and and probably it was more fun making dens and riding bikes than it was uh, necessarily going to school so so yeah my early life was quite untraditional I guess you know basically leaving school with with no qualifications at all uh, and really not a bright future, frankly. So so that's early Mike. Wow. Okay. Um, so just building on that then, so, you know, you, you, you left school, no qualifications. Talk about the journey from that point up until kind of your, you know, your, you know, by any, any sort of metric, a successful career delivering some really important things. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I guess, what do you do at that point? You know, do you kind of uh, think life's unfair and, uh, you know, be grumpy? Or do you kind of figure out, well, what options have I got and what can I do here? So at that time, it was a long time ago, and as, you, as, 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 you've, as you've thankfully pointed out, there was a scheme called the Youth Opportunity Scheme, which is where people with very few uh, options, you know, people who weren't going to university, didn't get an apprenticeship, uh, the government created to get kids off the street, basically. And, and I went and did that. Um, wasn't a particularly gra- glamorous thing to do at that time, but frankly, you know, I didn't have a lot of other choices. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, I, I met an amazing person by doing that. I, I met a, a guy who, you know, at the time I didn't realise it was, was a mentor. Um, and, uh, and, and he saw in me uh, a, a great deal of talent. I, I, I skipped out a bit, quite a few things. What I did find interesting about school was IT. It was, a, it was an emerging thing back in sort of 1982, something like that. And um, there was a particularly good teacher there who encouraged me a lot to, uh, and he saw I was interested in creating stuff. Yeah. And gave me an opportunity to spend time with uh, the technology that we had at the school, which was a, a Commodore PET, for those of you that want to Google that sort of stuff. But it was like the first thing that you could actually pick up and carry around and, and build programs on. And, and I just had this fascination, obsession with that kind of stuff. And that's what drew me into the op scheme. 
the youth opportunity scheme because they talked about an opportunity to, to build on that. And and this is where I found my mentor who who you know saw this raw talent, you know, it was kind of a lot self-taught and uh and gave me a huge amount of encouragement to, uh, and helped me a lot you know helped me hone my skill and showed me a path of you know you know there is a whole industry out there that needs people like you you don't have to have a degree to be successful in this industry yeah and and thankfully i met uh, i met that man so um, i guess looking back you know having someone with that generosity to be invest in you know a young lad uh, mm. with no qualifications and have a belief in that person it I guess I I that's rubbed off on me Ian I think yeah yeah, yeah I can see I can see that um and it's um it's interesting isn't it the you know, the motivations for you know people like you and people like your, your mentor that you refer to there what's kind of what's driving that um the, the the need to help people yeah. and desire to help people um and how how you select who you kind of share that that gift with i suppose isn't it you know how do you how how did that mentor kind of say ah you know i'm seeing something in in my care you know that's really interesting because you know the, the youth opportunity scheme itself was very transient you know you were only on it for a while so yes. thinking about it and, and i've never thought about this before actually until you mentioned it you know he must have experienced a lot of you know kids frankly i was 16 at the time right yes. coming through this program you know some of those probably still didn't really know what they want to do still didn't really figure out what their skill was um and i guess maybe that that was i did have a true passion about this stuff right i was I was a bit obsessed, I think, uh, <laughs> and and I think he saw that in me. So so perhaps it's that. But but I, you know, the, the, uh, just to colour it in a little bit, where I went for my youth opportunity, it was actually a, an interesting place in itself. It was a charity that created independent villages where they would bring physically and mentally handicapped people to live productive lives. So everybody there had a job. Everybody yeah. there contributed to the independent village. Yeah. Uh, and that in itself was interesting, you know, to sort of be submerged in that environment where everybody's equal, everybody had, you know, a task as, and, and contribution to, to, to everything. Yeah. Uh, and the people like Lawrence, the, the gentleman that, that helped me, they gave up very successful careers as volunteers to go and live in these villages to, to be parts oh. of that community. Okay. So I guess it took a certain individual <laughs> to, yes. to go and do that. Um, but I didn't realize any of that before I went, right? I, I just kind of, you know, went um, because that was, I guess, my last chance, really. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, but looking back, uh, you know, it, it was uh, incredibly helpful. And then yeah. the next step of, of my career, so what Lawrence did is he explained about the whole recruitment programs and you know where to go and find jobs and how to interview for jobs and how to write a cv and all this stuff that frankly i would never have had access to if i hadn't have found this person and i secured my first job a long way from home down in uh, in, in surrey and and again i guess met similar people you know people who were prepared to give this young guy a chance you know be prepared to uh look beyond you know, the qualifications that they would typically want to see yeah. on a, on a, you know, at that time, 18 year old's CV yeah. and, uh, and see the potential and see the enthusiasm and, 
uh, and, and how would that person fit in with our small organization? That was an important part too. And they yeah. took a chance and, and, and again, very generous with their, with their time, very generous with their experience of sharing that and, and, de- and I developed so quickly, you know, sort of seeing how this stuff works in a business, in a commercial environment. Uh, it was a small company, it was only about 30 employees, but it was growing fast. It was setting up offices in different parts of the world. And uh, and actually, that tiny company gave me an amazing opportunity to actually go and live in America when they opened up their offices in America. So after three short years of working there, and a spell where I went to go to university, it's interesting. I I I, I was quite um, paranoid. I thought, you know, my luck's going to run out here, Ian. So I thought I better go to college and get myself yeah. some proper qualifications. <laughs> Uh, and and frankly, that was just too hard. You know, the, the formal part of my education was missing so badly. That was never going to work. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So after three years, um, I was I found myself in America, setting up a small business for a for a little PLC in the UK, uh, which is remarkable. You know, I literally remember to this day sitting in Chicago, thinking, "How's this happened?" Then you yeah. know, you know, I've literally. Four or five years ago, I was looking at the dole for a long time, you know, yeah. and yeah. here I am, you know, a, a, a significant part of a of a small business, you know, yeah. helping them grow quickly. Wow, it's incredible. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how things pan out? Um, yeah. And then the opportunities just like escalated from there because I was one of a two man team that went to set up that business in America. Uh, and it was a successful business. It was a great product. It was uh, an IT product looking at how you maintain factories and, and secure all the spare parts that you need to look after factories. So I was going around all these amazing factories all over North America, from Alaska down to Florida, uh, and some international trips as well. So Colombia, I remember going to, and Jamaica. And uh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And And everywhere I went... People were very kind, very generous with their time and hospitality. And, uh, and, and I was always very grateful for that. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you stop and think? And this, this is something um, I, I certainly did in my early career, because similar to you, I didn't, didn't enjoy education. I didn't leave school with, you know, wonderful qualifications or go on to do a degree. Did you stop in that moment when you were in North America and think, the people in my class in school, if they saw me now, they would think, wow, you know, this is this is not the mic that we... we <laughs> yeah, and I still think that today, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I catch up with old school friends when I get the opportunity. And, uh, and dare I say, the vast majority of themselves have done phenomenally well as well, right? Mm. So, uh, in fact, I was just... Uh, at a conference in New York only two weeks ago. And I met up with one of my good friends from school and he's a president of a medical devices company in North America now. And, and we were talking about this. It's just, you know, how is it that, you know, we go from being, you know, just what you described and, and securing these amazing roles with, you know, world-class organizations. And uh, we had a long conversation about that. And, and I think it, it, it does boil down to some pretty basic things, Ian. You know, it's keeping things simple, you know, mm-hmm. having that really practical mindset. Yeah. I think it's about being passionate uh, around, you know, not being successful for yourself, but your client's success, your customer's success. Yeah. We talked about that quite a lot. And being 
creative or innovative, I guess is the modern term, but you know, when stuff goes wrong and it goes wrong all the time, right? What are you going to do about it? You know? Yeah. So what's your resilience? What's your creativity? How, you know, who, who are you going to collaborate with? Who are you going to talk to, to get over this? He was telling me about how they, you know, experienced um, a really unfortunate sort of hacking incident and, and literally what, how do you respond to that? That's, you know, catastrophe in modern businesses today. And, and it boiled down to, yeah, exactly that. How do we, how do we just reinvent ourselves very quickly before the business suffers badly? Yes. So you, you've, um, in amongst all of that, some mm. really good, good insight you've been able to share with us and some, some great kind of life lessons. Mm. Um, and, it, and it seems that um, because there's so much pressure uh, and, and pressure seems to build every year, I think, on kind of exam result days. Yeah. There's A-levels or GCSEs. And, and I, I think back to how I felt as well. But m- more and more when I do these podcasts, what I learn is that the journey to leadership, yes, education is important, but it's the type of education as well. And it's it's not necessarily the qualifications that you leave the door with. It's more the the lessons in life that you learn as, as, as part of that journey that are important to get you to where you're getting to rather than necessarily walking out the door with the certificate. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's something I love learning. I absolutely love learning to this day. I'm always looking for something new to figure out, you know, but do I have any qualifications? No, not really. I don't. Right. But what does that actually mean? Do you know what I mean? Does that, do you, there are certain types of people that really get a kick and, 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 and absolutely fair play to them for, you know, having lots and lots and lots and lots of qualifications and demonstrating that to their peers and, and family and friends and what have you. And I think that's amazing. You know, it's something I physically can't do. You know, I find it very, very, very difficult. But I love learning. I love learning practically. I love learning by rolling up my sleeves and trying to figure stuff out. Um, and and that's what kind of keeps me going, really, is that sort of thirst for knowledge, that curiosity, you know. Mm. Um, maybe it's a little bit arrogant, I don't know, but I look at the people that can do it and think, well, if, if they can do it, you know, why can't I do it? You know, I don't know if it's arrogance or what it is, but mm-hmm. but that gives me that sort of motivation to think, well, I, th- I think I, I think I could do that, you know? Now, there is a line, <laughs> I guess, at a certain point where I think, yeah, no, I can't do that. You know, I don't think I could be a brain surgeon or something like that, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like some very practical things, some very, you know, uh, creative things. Uh, I do love learning about them and, and giving it a good go. Yeah. So, so just building on that practical side of things, then, um, talk to us about uh, your your da- daily routine. If you, mm. if you have a daily routine, mm. Mm. yeah, I wouldn't say I've got you know a regimental sort of routine that I do each day. There are certain th- boxes that need to be ticked in my day, though, for me to have an enjoyable day. If that's yeah. okay to answer yeah. your question that way, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so for me to have a great day, I do need to do something creative, right? I do need to sort of figure out how to make something, you know, work, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, now, that could be something on a personal level or it could be something in my day job, right? Whether that's fathering out a problem that we're working on uh, with a client, yeah, or whether that's actually, you know, uh, 
on my hobbies. Yeah. So some, I do have kind of hobbies that needs a certain level of creativity. So if I can find some time to, to tick that box, that helps me have a good day. Other things are, you know, I guess what most people would have. I love spending time with my family, but there's, and, and friends. And, and that's another thing that I have a routine of. It's more a weekly routine than a daily routine. So I, I really do make time to get a friendship group together every Friday. We play football. I call it football. <laughs> uh, we earn our pint. And I love that because I'm with people from really diverse backgrounds, really diverse careers, and we talk about random things, and it's really interesting. And again, it comes back to what you talked about at the beginning of our chat here, because they're all different types of people. They're all interesting in their own way, and, uh, and, and we have so much fun. And that, to me, you know, if I don't manage to do that in my week, then you know, it's, it's a sadder week than any other, let's put it that way. Ah, right. Well, and and you you mentioned that word fun. Um, do you do you think we have to have fun in our jobs um, to make them good jobs, or are you do you sort of veer on the side of seriousness and um, keeping it keeping it serious? Yeah, I like to have fun, but I recognise not everybody does, right? Um, and you know there are. And, and, I, and I respect that. You know, there are people who, who I have worked with and, and to, to this day who come to work to work, right? They don't come necessarily to work to have, have fun. And I respect that. Personally, you know, if we can have a bit of fun during the day, that's, that, that helps me through the day, frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, think, I think there are three things to having a good, healthy, working relationship with your job. Uh, I, I don't know if you're asking the question kind of that way. But, I mean, to me... I think if you feel you're doing something worthwhile, that's super important. Yeah. Yes. Otherwise, what's the point? I think number two, not necessarily are you having fun with your team or teams. You know, we're very virtual these days. We we transition from one team to another almost on an hourly or or half hourly basis, don't we? Mm. But you know, do you feel respected and do you feel like you are contributing to that team? I think that's super important. And then I think I think the third one is. You know, what are you working on? Like, I'm really lucky because I do feel like what, I, what I'm working on is highly relevant. But is the challenge that you're doing, the organization that you're with or the team that you're with, you know, is it relevant? Is it making a difference, right? Because mm. I think if you, could, if you can tick those three boxes, I, I believe you'll have a very fulfilling career. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. Mm. Um, and, and certainly I've learned... Um, <clears throat> more in recent times, I I value being listened to. Mm. If I'm in a in a role and people get to hear what I'm saying and I get to hear what they're saying and there's a mutual respect in that in that conversation, rather than it being hierarchical and the most senior person in the room gets to make the decision, sort of moving away from those those sorts of models. I think that. That certainly makes me happier in those working environments, actually. Uh, again, I couldn't agree with you more there. I mean, I think that courage that you talk about, you know, particularly if you're not a senior leader yet, right, or a senior uh, respected person that's been around for donkey's years and everybody would listen to that individual, I guess. If you've got the courage to speak out and say what's on your mind or ask that question that you're not understanding, um Nine times out of ten, other people are thinking that, right? Aren't they? Yeah. So, 
I, I, I agree is, is, is we need, to, and I, I think they are being broken down a lot these days. Yeah. Certainly that's my experience. Um, yeah. Virtual teams, uh, diverse teams. There's so many facts that stand up to say these are the more, you know, productive and effective teams, you know, when working on problem solving in particular. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Mm. So just picking up on that diversity point, so you mentioned it in your Friday football, and yeah. you mentioned it there as far as, you know, better teams. Yeah. Do, do you think that bias in its negative form, I guess, would be removed in our generation? Or do you think, you know, bias is is just a human condition and we're just going to just get better at handling it? So... I don't think it'll be eradicated completely in my lifetime, right? And probably not my children's lifetime. Uh, I think it'll take a very long time, unfortunately. But but I would, and, and I can give lots of reasons why I think that, but I don't <clears> know if we've got the time today. But what I would say is in you know my very long career, as you pointed out at the beginning of the call, <laughs> uh, we've moved a long way, a flipping long way, right? Um, I mean, I, I remember experiencing bias and, you know, uh, being marginalised in my early career, you know, you know, having a very thick northern accent, uh, for example, and I know mm. there'll be people listening to this, they'll poor you with just a northern accent, but I'm just trying to paint a picture of how yeah. bias oh. and, you know, uh, being marginalised can represent itself yeah. and, and, and experience that. And in fact, I, I mentioned earlier, I did a lot of travel with my job when I moved to North America. I was in Alaska and I, I, I felt very marginalized there, you know, working in an environment which was very close-knit community and anybody who wasn't from that community was a very much an outsider. So, you know, having those tiny experiences of being marginalized and, and not accepted is, uh, it's painful, right? So, so to experience that on a daily basis, you know, just because of your background or your heritage or your religion or your, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's tragic. And, and, and I think, you know, we can't do enough really to, to, to change people's mindsets and behaviors, but it takes a heck of a long time, doesn't it? Ian? Yeah. To reach everybody. And that's, that's a problem, isn't it? Is until everybody recognizes that, you know, it's still out there, right? You still have those points of views <clears throat> and beliefs being, propagated yeah. and when you get difficult sort of commercial conditions or, or economic i should say or or uh you know these sorts of strong beliefs can people can quickly jump onto if it's if it like points the finger at somebody else and it's their fault right yes yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and and I, I certainly how i see this is it it, it used to be that that the bias and diversity was a good thing to do and the business case didn't really stack up necessarily to, to lots of people that were going against it and happy with the way things were. And and indeed, probably feeling a little bit fragile that people were coming for their jobs. Um and and but I think now there's so there's so many great case studies, there's so many good thinkers that are saying, well, hang on, diverse teams, whether it be gender, whether it be race, whether it be background or an education, they will outperform the non-diverse echo chamber teams every single time. Yeah. Um, so so I think I'm I'm seeing a lot more of that now. So not only is it the right thing to do um to make sure that 
our companies represent the communities in which we serve and, and live and work in, but we become better teams, we become better businesses as a result. So so why the hell not? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough to work for a company called SAP for quite a long time, actually, about 15 years I was there. And um, I saw that in action so much, right? So, And, and it would be amazing uh, where, you know, just that different point of view coming from just a completely different mindset, you know, just accelerated our ability to solve problems and implement mm-hmm. change, which is fundamentally what, what we were employed to do um you know because i think when i first went there when it was a relatively smaller business it's still quite big but not as anywhere near the size it is now you know you did have a very sort of dare i say germanic mindset you know very engineering focus you know well this is the spec so we're going to do this and it transitioned over that 15 year period into very diverse, very dynamic teams, you know, looking at solving problems and listening to anybody that had an idea or a thought, you know, failing fast if that idea wasn't going to work, right? Yeah. But equally building on those suggestions, those ideas and 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 and, and being creative on top. So that's where I probably saw during that time the positive impact of having, you know, a very different mix of teams from what we used to have yeah. to what we then experienced. And, and Salesforce was very, very, you know, uh, progressive in, in ensuring that there was a lot of diversity in our teams and uh, and getting anybody had the opportunity to sort of contribute to uh, to a problem. And uh, and it's something that stuck with me. You know, I've seen it. I've seen the positive impact and it's something that I'm, I'm very positive about and yeah. trying to instill that kind of change wherever I go. Yes. And it's and it's really obvious, I think, when a company is doing it because they truly believe in it, and they want to create a legacy of yeah. that way of doing things, rather than, oh, we have a woman on our board, yeah. and she deals with all of the the female issues, and she gets all of those questions, or yeah. we have a person of color on our board. Yeah. You just see that a mile off, I think, these days. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think I think you you can't do that box ticking and stuff like that, really, can you? Because it's you know it, it quickly unravels. I think if it is a box ticking exercise, you know, um, and and you're shown for for the kind of culture that you really are. I think if it, if it is a superficial box ticking exercise that you're really doing, yeah. um, and that that's too risky, isn't it? I mean, the reputational damage of of that or. Yeah. not being credible, not being trustworthy in front of your employees and your customers. It's, that's not a great position to be in, is it? Let's be honest. No, no, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so listen, Mike, we're on our last question. Okay. Um, so we've, we've whizzed through your, your life story. You've been able to share with us loads of little nuggets. Um, and I've really enjoyed learning um, a lot more about you, but what about, what about your future? Where, where do you think you go next? Do you have that mapped out? Are you that sort of person? Or is it a, let's see what happens? Yeah. I, I guess I'm lucky now in where I'm at in my career, right? So I, I definitely was a planner about, you know, a bit of a chess player about where could I, where could I kind of continue on this journey, right? Probably a little bit paranoia, like I said before, you know, when's my luck going to run out? When are, when are people going to sort of figure out this, uh, this guy? 
Um, so I was always kind of trying to figure what the right next move would be and what I would need to demonstrate, what I would need to do to get there. And fortunately, I'd like to think that that has panned out well. Where I'm at now, uh, as you said at the beginning of the call, I get a lot more enjoyment now out of helping people, um, looking for opportunities to you know, make an impact through helping people. So maybe spotting a team that's maybe not performing as well as it could do, you know, in, internally or um, responding to requests for help, whether that's for career help, mentoring, problem solving, you know, I, I really just enjoy that. So whatever I will do in the future, I mean, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing now and, and, you know, hopefully this is something that, you know, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be with us for a little while. So it's something mm -hmm. I, I would like to work on for a while yet. Um, but, you know, should I go and do something different, it would definitely be around uh, helping people develop themselves. I'd like to be, I'd like to be a Lawrence, if that makes sense, if that joins the dots back to where, yeah. you know, I'd love to give back. I'd love to find that yes. little Mike and, or, Mandy or whoever it is, right, and see if I can help them um, get the most out of their life, like I've been fortunate to get out of mine. Yeah. That's um, that's a great place to leave it, actually. Um, a real full circle, um, you know, coming back to the beginning. So thank you, Mike. Thanks for sharing um, your story today. I know lots of people will, will get um, a lot from it. Loads of nuggets, loads of insight. And a great way to end the story. So thank you, Mike. Thank you, Ian. It's been a privilege. And uh, thanks for all the work you're doing for future leaders as well. I think it's, I think it's great, you know, and uh, obviously I can, I can relate to this work and, 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 and I think you're doing a wonderful job. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. So as always, thank you for choosing to listen to What the Future. If, you, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please hit subscribe and tell others about us. And finally, we know that mentoring is a hugely valuable step on the leadership journey um, and we're here to help. So if you feel the same way, then please get involved. Tap the join us button on our webpage, which is www.futureleadersmentoring.com and follow us on our LinkedIn page to jump in and get involved in the conversations. So for now, goodbye and we'll speak again soon.